Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on. We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. USAA. Restrictions apply. Welcome to Garden Views. Interesting conversations with interesting people who have done and or are doing interesting things. So sit back and enjoy. Welcome everyone into Garden Views and today we are welcoming in David Fleming and he's an author and obviously a researcher and he has written a book on Jefferson. And before I move along, I want to do a little housekeeping, but I want to first uh, greet him. I want to say, hello, David, how are you? Thank you for joining us today, uh, this evening. I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. Okay. I guess uh, give the folks like a quick forewarn on your bio and your background. Sure. I am a, an author of three books, and I am a longtime senior writer at ESPN and before that Sports Illustrated. Um, I sort of specialize in, what would you call it, more niche and obscure and funny and crazy stories that are tangentially related to sports. But my third book is called and it's out now, uh, published by Hachette. It's called Who's Your Founding Father? And it is about, well, it's essentially um, a story that will unravel the entire origin story of America and reveal the crime of the millennia by Thomas Jefferson. Um, it's my own adventure to discover a document known as the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence, which was written and declared 14 months before Jefferson wrote his own declaration. And there is substantial proof that he plagiarized this document when writing his own uh, slightly more popular uh, Declaration of Independence. Wow. And this is nonfiction, correct? This is not like a historical fiction. This is nonfiction. Okay. Well, it would, sometimes you would think the crazy stuff that goes on in this story, yes, you would think it's, it is fiction, but no, it's 100% nonfiction. Well, audience, you're going to have to wait a second because you're, you, we're going to get into that. But first, I want to let the audience know a couple things. First, uh, before I even know, knew that David existed and before I even got in touch with him, before he agreed to come upon the show, I had already recorded a show with somebody who was, uh, you know, sort of on Team Jefferson, which is, which is, you know, fine, I suppose. Well, I don't know what, what David's book says yet and what he's going to tell me, but that's, you know, I was born in 1968. I went to, public schools in the United States. I went to, you know, university and then uh, graduate school in the United States. And Thomas Jefferson is sort of, you know, a founding father, hero of the Republic. You know, obviously we know he's flawed, had, you know, children out of wedlock with with uh, some of his slaves. Uh, 
probably did other things that were, you know, that would be considered horrendous in these times, maybe things that are horrendous in those times. I, I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know. I admit I never saw Hamilton. I read the book 1776. I didn't read John Adams, but I watched the prestige uh, miniseries on HBO. So, you know, I'm a, you know, a semi-educated person in it, but, you know, I, I wasn't about to do a deep dive into Jefferson. Point of all this is that that show was recorded and now I'm like, I feel like, we're coming right up on July 4th and there's going to be, it's almost like there might be a debate here because obviously I haven't recorded with David yet. So I don't know what he's going to say, but nevertheless, his show will air first, even though recorded later, uh, probably be dropped either the eve of July 4th or on July 4th, just to uh, mix up your celebrations and libations. And let's face it, this if you're an American, Every holiday is just an excuse to overeat and drink anyway, and there's a few of you that will will actually venerate. And for those of you who are international, you don't care about anything that I'm saying. Um, and then we will hear uh, the other show, which is uh, more about the. It, I mean, it focuses on Jefferson, but it's called the Virginia Way, and it and it actually the hero probably is more the Socrates figure, the the law professor that was the mentor to many of the founding fathers. So this may not be as much of a debate as I think, but we'll find out together. But in between those two shows, there is a possibility that I will drop a show on aviation law with one of my bosses, one of the partners in my law firm. And it's been a while for that we had to schedule this. And of course, it's one of my bosses. So I want to put him on as pretty much as soon as, you know, we record if time permits. Um, and it will also bring us back to sort of our mission central, which is to try to extrapolate the laws of Earth and our ionosphere <laughs> to to the laws of space. Uh, so anyway, that's a little bit of housekeeping. So what you can expect for the last the next three weeks. And I wanted to clear it up because the last few weeks, you've gotten an embarrassment of riches of too many shows because I was surprisingly was able to schedule a podcast with someone that I thought would take weeks or months or never. And it took days. And then he wanted to have a part two. And so you got a lot of shows. Anyway, thank you, David, for listening to that. Thank you, audience. But now you know what to expect in the the next couple weeks. And maybe now you know why you got more than you did before. In the past, no, I'm not going to add a Patreon or anything like that. This was not like I'm giving you more just to sing, to to rope you in. All right, David, sorry about that. To bring us to bring us to the beginning, tell tell us tell us this tale of of not to steal Jonah Goldberg's thing on Woodrow Wilson, history's most secret monster, but um, uh, Thomas Jefferson, history's secret monster. I'll tell you how the the New York Times referred to him as the monster of Monticello. Oh. Um, so you'll you know where I'm I'm going with this. And um, our story really begins um, in 1819 when John Adams, who was a long time, they were rivals, right? They were friends, they were enemies, they were political rivals. We'll call them frenemies. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1819, John Adams, who always sort of like was secretly, almost neurotically jealous of the attention and the acclaim that Thomas Jefferson had gotten, he read in his local paper in Massachusetts a story about the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence and immediately wrote a series of incredible letters to Jefferson. And these two men corresponded back and forth for months about this document. But essentially, John Adams told Jefferson, you're busted. Like, I have proof that you plagiarized 
the Declaration of Independence. Not only did you take way more credit for being the author of this document than you deserved, since we wrote it as a committee, by the way, I now have proof that you actually plagiarized it from this earlier document. And that, for me, there's always a moment when it's like, okay, this is a story. This is a book. This is something that we need to talk about on a podcast. And when I read those letters and held them in my hands, um, that is when I knew we had a story here. And we had uncovered um, one more layer of terrible behavior by Thomas Jefferson. And I love the way you put it, right? It's disconcerting because... For any of us, I we were born at about the same time, we're close to the same age. All of my teachers, all of my history teachers told me that Thomas Jefferson was a saint and a uh, and a sage when it came to writing. And so learning all these terrible things about him um, was not easy. It, 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 it brought me no joy whatsoever. Yeah, he's, he's one of those few guys that's on a coin and a dollar and a dollar bill. I mean, that, that, that's reserved only for what three? Jefferson, Washington, and, and Lincoln, I think are the only three that are on both. I mean, this is, this is, this is some big, this is some big timey scary stuff. Yeah. I mean, I kept thinking as I was writing this stuff, I'm like, I'm going to accuse Thomas Jefferson of plagiarism in a book, a nationally published book. The guy's on Mount Rushmore. Um, but you know, I have to tell you what I realized was number one, we've never really learned the, we've learned 10% of what Jefferson is like. And that's what our history teachers have always taught us. And number two, that is usually sort of biased in favor of Jefferson. So I realized that, um, you know, I, we, we owe people the truth and um, the historians before us haven't done that great a job at that. Well, I'm okay with this conceptually because I'm a heel by nature. I I preferred Hamilton to Madison, you know. I prefer Doctor Zayas and you know to to Cornelius and and Taylor. I you know so I, I I'm often on the wrong side of things. I think the Empire was misunderstood. So uh, you know, I, and by that I mean the Empire in Star Wars, not necessarily the <laughs> Roman Empire or the Mongol Empire or any other one you can think of. But yeah, the the, the Jefferson thing, thing it's. I mean, it's funny the way you were describing because one of the shows I did recently, you know, sort of uh, Sir Isaac Newton and uh, Leibniz came out, came up, and they were sort of the same thing, frenemies, and like you know, arguing about plagiarism over calculus over letters, you know, the most polite way. Of course, there were no other options. There was, you know, letters or you sent an actual writer or whatever, and then over a sea, you know, as as well, sort of, you know, Dracula and Jonathan Harker, you know, uh, method. but uh, it's like frenemies, but, you know, he knocked him out, but to his face in writing, because that's what they could do. Um, and, you know, I know that a bunch of the founding fathers didn't exactly love each other, but they were they were all wealthy. They were all landholders. They probably had competing business interests. They probably had competing land interests. Probably there are some women involved in some of them. I know the Quakers had very different religious beliefs than, say, the Puritans, than, than you know, than perhaps, you know, uh, the the Anglicans or Episcopals, whatever, in, in different states, and uh, and as much as we're divided now, that the Quakers actually did run Pennsylvania, the Puritans actually did run Massachusetts. Um, so these things were bigger than they might be today, maybe even bigger than at the time, anyway. The the slavery versus anti-slavery thing, though I'm not really I not had an expert compare contrast uh, that at the time. Anyway, so but this is your tale to tell. So 
where do you pick up the thread and how do you figure out it was a book? And I don't know, you know, t tell the story without giving away too much. Yeah, well, I mean, it turns out, um, I mean, going back to the Jefferson thing, right? He, again, you want to tread lightly until you realize that the idea of plagiarism might have been one of his lesser evils <laughs> and that it fits a pattern of crime and corruption and hypocrisy, um, amongst many other things, and then cover up that that Jefferson did sort of throughout his life. This is just one example of many um, of sort of this pattern of Jefferson's that, again, um, you know, we we were never we were never taught in school. And so, if you back, if you look at the the state flag of North Carolina, the on that flag is May 20th, 1775. And this whole project for me started by just asking one question. Why is the date on our state flag 14 months older than the actual declaration or the independence of our entire country? And it turns out it's because of this document, this Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence, which it, it's just this crazy story of this incredible group of farmers, fanatics, and this weird mix of Princeton scholars who had settled Charlotte, which then was on the, the, the frontier of the colonies. And they were this amazing mix of mostly Scots-Irish Presbyterians. And it was just in their DNA to know that things were not going to get better with the crown, that they had sort of for centuries and for generations had sort of had it up to here with the tyranny of the crown. And they just were sort of preternaturally aware before the rest of America that things weren't going to get better. And so on May 20th, 1775, at the exact same time when they actually got news from Lexington and Concord, they decided, screw it. Let's just put it in writing. We know we're risking our lives. We know we could be hung for treason, but we're going to formally declare and put it in writing that we are no longer connected to the crown or to England. And so they did that and they declared it from the courthouse steps. They had a rider named Captain James Jack, who then took those documents and rode them 600 miles up to the Continental Congress. And you have to remember at the time, we were still, the olive branch was still being extended to the king. And you're absolutely right, very smart about, it was about money. Right. The, the, the people who ran the colonies at the time were mostly wealthy men who knew that it would affect them economically if they if they broke ties with the king. So they were still holding out hope. Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on. When the Mecklenburg Declaration arrived, they were still holding out hope that they could still reconcile with the king. And so this document sat in Philadelphia for 14 months until Jefferson was tasked, along with the Committee of Five, to write the Declaration of Independence. And we should talk about that, too, because it's fascinating how much different the actual declaration is to the way we perceive it. Mm. But 
So this, um, I believe lawyers call this opportunity, right? The document has been sitting in Philadelphia. It's being circulated for a year. When Jefferson sits down and, and somehow mysteriously mixes in uh, several, probably six or more phrases from this document into his Declaration of Independence. And the first person to notice it is John Adams, who says, this cannot be a coincidence. Well, Jefferson that, had had to have stolen it from this document. Well, let's ask a question. That, that, I mean, good good catch on John Adams's part, and a great catch on your part. And very interesting that the the, the year is earlier, and that is something that you know sometimes right in front of your face that the people don't notice. It's one of those moments like, why didn't I think of that? Um, I thought when we first talked that you were going to go with a much later year because I'm like, how do you really say that we were independent until we at least won the war? <laughs> but anyway, but, but aside from that, forget about me. Um, do we know who wrote the Mecklenburg De- Declaration? I mean, if after all, if Jefferson wrote it, he's plagiarizing himself, uh, which is not exactly a crime. Um, but if some, if somebody else or if he had no, no involvement in it, well, then that's plagiarism. Now I understand this isn't, uh, you know, journalism and then, you know, or academia, but it's not not academia, at least at this point. It's a, there's at least some part of, you know, you know, I guess where academia meets politics is philosophy, uh, you know, so it's at least, at least it's, it's at least a cousin of academia. Anyway, do we know who wrote the, the Declaration of Mecklenburg? For, let's forget my musings for this moment because we'll, 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 we'll never get out of that quicksand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we absolutely do. You know, there were, it was specifically six Princeton graduates who lived in Charlotte, who helped found Charlotte. They uh, were the ones who drafted. Yankees. And uh, yeah, Yankees <laughs> and declared and then had the document delivered. And there were 27 men in Charlotte who signed the Mecklenburg Declaration. Um, and again, I think where Jefferson gets in trouble is, and again, this is this is why it's so nice to talk to a a, a, a lawyer or a, uh, somebody versed in the law. It's he was never tasked with coming up with something original. He, we were, and you're absolutely right. We were we were at risk of losing the war before we had even formally declared independence, and so. In 1776, it's a rush job. They're like, hey, Jefferson, go away for a couple weeks, grab all the information you can, all the sentiment of the day, synthesize it into one document that we can sign. It was paperwork. It was overdue paperwork. It was a cut and paste job. And that's not me. That Those are Jeffersonian scholars acknowledging that. It only became this sacred document, document uh, decades later. But... It's, so Jefferson did what he was told to do or asked to do. It mm-hmm. was only that later, when he became famous for the declaration, did he decide and declare, oh, no, I didn't borrow from anyone else. This was all my own work. It was the lie. It's always the lie, the cover-up that gets you. And, and that's what got Jefferson because, my God, George Mason is the one who wrote Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. Jefferson lifted that literally word for word and then tried to claim that as well. <laughs> well, that that is a whole lot of stuff right there. Um which what a what a deep deep thought thought sentence that was. Um the, the you know, 
I think a lot of people also get confused with the Declaration of Independence and like, you know, talk, talk about it in the same terms of the Constitution. I think if you actually polled a lot of Americans, they would think it's part of the Constitution. It's not. The Constitution came much, much, much later, years later. Um, so you know, people talk about the li- life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. I mean, you know, you, people can argue about what that means and they do, but. It, I don't even think those terms are in the Constitution itself. It's in the Declaration of Independence. It was. It's in the. the, the this is our fight song. But but you know everybody has a fight song. But after the fight ends, it, the, the the terms of the of the peace aren't always the same. And and that that's sort of it's like sort of taking your uh, well in an illegal parlance, sort of taking like your demand letter or your lawsuit and and then comparing it to the ultimate settlement and and you know and and sort of pretending that it was your original demand letter where you got everything as opposed to you know if if you're lucky somewhere above 50% of 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 you know everything or you got everything but you, but it didn't cost your client so much that they are mad at you even though they had everything or close to everything um which is you know the lawyers war but all wars are war i mean they they all work like that some level of attrition and dissatisfaction so we know who who wrote the mecklenburg i assume jefferson was not one of those 27 Correct. Okay. And George Mason, who we all know from George Mason University, obviously a university uh, in Northern Virginia, uh, so named after George Mason, that George Mason. Every now and then they're, uh, they're in a NCAA tournament team, uh, you know, usually a, a Cinderella of some sort. Um, and uh, so, but obviously Jefferson would have known probably all of these 27 individuals, probably personally. It, he would have known, he definitely would have known the Princeton scholars. He would have known the North Carolina delegates. He did know them. I mean, he referred to them by name. He interacted with them in the halls of, of Congress. So he absolutely knew of them. He knew of the document. Um, the, the picture that Jeffersonian scholars paint is that when he had to come up with the declaration, he sort of sat down in his room and had all these different papers and philosophies and newspaper articles and declarations and really all the sort of lexicon and sentiment of the time in front of him. And he just sort of picked and chose and chose and, and crafted it into, it is really a stunning and soaring document. I mean, it, but it just, the, the, the problem is he, and he did this throughout his entire life. He took credit for things that he did not do. And then when people called him on it, um, you know, typically for centuries, the defense was kind of the way we started this podcast. How dare you even question me? I'm Thomas Jefferson. And, you know, it's funny that lasted, that worked for 200 years until, you know, the, the things, the DNA evidence with Sally Hemings came out. And all of a sudden now people start to look at, uh, the character of Thomas Jefferson, it's not enough to sort of hold up against a charge of plagiarism. Uh, plagiarism seems like the least of his crimes. Now, had he only said, we wrote that this came from the creator, are you to tell me that the creator only endowed this information into the heads of 27 individuals and not other, others as well, me included? Uh, they didn't come up with it. The creator endowed us with these, with these thoughts. And he gave me the divines. And, you know, I mean, 
I assume that they meant though they they meant those things that they are probably very deeply religious. I doubt it was a cover for uh, for many, if any, of of these folks. I guarantee all twenty seven of them knew each other because their families had probably been doing business with each other or competing with each other probably for the the prior three or four hundred years. I mean, none of the people who were landholders in in the colonies came from. A, a, oppressed people financially they just were more too oppressed tax wise and religious wise and they they you know brought their wealth with them or they got charters i mean there's there's a, there's a reason why baltimore is named after lord baltimore and calvert county is lord calvert because they were lords i mean which is one of the reasons it was sort of hard to get a revolution off the ground one of many it's it's funny because this is sort of off topic but you alluded to it earlier um Americans, we have a very strange notion of revolution in that our revolution was successful. Um, now we had a very painful civil war, but that was also successful. And, and we base it partly upon, you know, a semi-successful revolution some hundred, a few hundred years earlier between British lords and, and getting the Magna Carta and, you know, reducing the, the, the powers of the monarchy and, and, you know, and still, you know, just spreading among more rich people, but it, it Progress is progress, like like the final episode of Game of Thrones. Um, but most revolutions are disasters. Most fail, most fail epically, or they succeed and they turn into terrible things like the Soviet Union. Um, or you have the French Revolution, which succeeds and then fails and leads to the reign of terror and then leads to Napoleon, which of course leads to something that they think is glorious, but ends up being terrible. And, and it basically leads to World War One, which leads to World War Two, which leads to the Soviet Union. I mean, you know, it's, it's, but I mean, you know, even a few years ago in the Arab Spring, very few of those revolutions ended period, let alone ending successfully. So when Americans think of revolution, we, we have a very American-centric view of revolution, and, and maybe some other places benefited from it, probably Canada, most notably, probably a lot of, you know, the Mexico and, and the Caribbean. Now, they have other grievances that are, that, that they certainly have, you know, purchase and, and, and rights to and, and, and claims to those grievances. Uh, Australia probably never had to do it because it was at that point, the, the, the sun never set on the British Empire, but, you know, they, but, uh, but they were tired of looking their wounds 24 seven. Um, anyway. I mean, you, you make a really good point because one of the reasons why the Mecklenburg Declaration was not more well known, and I thought this was fascinating, was that the, the, we were so strapped by the end of the revolution. And we, this idea and this sort of experiment of democracy in America was so tenuous that the whole country couldn't even breathe a sigh of relief or even think about celebrating what we had done with this very rare, like you said, pulling off an actual revolution until like the 1820s. It was well after the, the war of 1812. It was like nobody could exhale and go, oh my God, look what we did in 1776. It's amazing. Right. And so that's one of the reasons why this the Mecklenburg Declaration and the charges of plagiarism and the whole thing about the truth about the Declaration of Independence no one was talking about it. Nobody was studying it for for decades or for almost half a century. And that's why this kind of stuff gets lost to, to history. I will say, though, that I think one of the other things that makes the Mecklenburg Declaration interesting is that the there were, obviously, there were 
um, class divisions that had come all the way down. They were very prominent in in Pennsylvania and Virginia at the time, but they hadn't quite fully reached North Carolina, which is why there were farmers and religious fanatics and 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 very poor but landowners uh, who worked together with Princeton's elite Princeton scholars to form the Mecklenburg Declaration. I mean, that's why this document is so special. Um, it was it was a mix of everybody on the Carolina frontier who said, "Enough! Let's just declare war, declare our independence, and 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 get it over with." And I think that's why people, especially in North Carolina, want to defend this document so much because these men they knew they were risking they were risking their lives. I mean, this was 14 months before it was anywhere safe to declare independence. Some question. Was there a North Carolina and South Carolina, or was it just a Carolina? And if so, were the borders of Virginia different at the time? No, it was all pretty much, it was still, it was North Carolina and South Carolina. And um, there definitely was a, uh, a border between Virginia and North Carolina because when it came, when it turned out that people in North Carolina found out Jefferson had plagiarized their document and then tried to cover it up, uh, there were men who proposed building a wall along the border of North Carolina and Virginia. That's how, and to this day, it's still pretty, um, these two states do not get along, and it's mostly because of this document. Well, who, who's going to pay for that? They, they couldn't get Mexico to pay for that one, so... <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, so because Mecklenburg is North Carolina, right? It's where Charlotte is. Yeah, it's the county where Charlotte is, and it was named after Queen Charlotte. Mecklenburg is actually where it was her birthplace in Germany. Germany, right? Yeah. Right. Because uh, all the British royals were actually Germans, and most of them didn't even speak a lick of English. So, which is another one of history's great. Uh, Things that people don't know. I, I was going to say strangeness, but it's not strange at all. Actually, it's a it's ridiculously common. I mean, the 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 czars for hundreds of years spoke French, and the the the, the Egyptian royal family of the Pharaonic houses spoke Greek. I mean, that, that's why people still remember Cleopatra because she learned Egyptian. She spoke Egyptian, so people loved her because she bothered to learn Egyptian. Um, anyway, enough about that. that's how we know that she she wasn't you know what what we call in America African American or black that she was. Where there's outdoor work to be done, there's Echo Outdoor Power Equipment. Echo products deliver the reliability, quality, and performance you need to tackle everything on your outdoor to-do list. From chainsaws and string trimmers to leaf blowers and edgers, Echo's full range of pro-grade outdoor power tools are built to meet the demands of outdoor work. Visit us today, your local Echo dealer. Learn more at echo-usa.com. Echo. Power on and on. We made USAA insurance to help you save. Take advantage of discounts when you cover your home and your ride. Discover how we're helping members save at USAA.com slash bundle. USAA. Restrictions apply. Greek, whatever, whatever you would, whatever color you would think Greek would be. Um, you know, because she spoke Greek um, <laughs> and learned. Okay. Anyway, enough about that. I'll probably get myself into trouble, even though these are all factual. Um <laughs> In, in any event, so all right, so Mecklenburg, North Carolina, but still, you know, the, the, you know, borderish mortars. These are colonies, not even states. It's you know, it, it, it's probably more important who who own which particular fields and plots, anyhow, at at that point in time. Um, so 
After this came out, John Adams is writing letters to Jefferson, and his response is either not or denying it. Is that is that what's going on? Well, in classic Jefferson form, he says, he speaks out of both sides of his mouth. He basically says, I respect the people of North Carolina, and if you show me more evidence, I will, I, 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 I tend to maybe believe this document, but at first I believe it to be spurious. And... Um, and then he made some jokes about how this is a, it's a hoax and I've never heard of these people. And, you know, again, it's just Jefferson sort of trying to protect his legacy. At that point, he was the most famous for being the author of the Declaration of Independence. Sure. And there was no way in the twilight of his life he was going to give away any of that credit to um, a bunch of farmers in, in North Carolina. And, you know, what happens you know, especially with Jefferson is the minute he says this, all of Virginia, all of his cronies, they immediately begin to attack instead of they're not defending Jefferson and they're not trying to prove it with facts. They just immediately begin to attack North Carolina and the men who wrote this document and the the feud and the controversy just begins and builds from there. Okay, so what what happened next then? I mean, obviously, at some point, they've moved from Declaration of Independence to actually arranging militias and fighting and and writing a constitution. And obviously, uh, Jefferson and Adams and probably some of these other individuals, their paths crossed again. So uh, take take us through that. Yeah, and I think this is this is kind of where the rubber hits the road, right? And I this is another thing where Nobody knows this, right? We all know that that Cornwallis ended up in Yorktown where he had to surrender. What people don't understand is why did he have to go to Yorktown? And I think what people don't like to understand or to learn or just they just don't want to acknowledge is he had to go there because he got his butt kicked in the South. He the the Southern theater, the Southern campaign of the Revolutionary War the plan was for the British and Cornwallis to come in through Charleston and rip his way through South Carolina, then up through Charlotte, through North Carolina. And then because he would along the way gain all the loyalists that were on the fence and were too afraid to speak up. And then he would turn north and he would meet the troops coming down from New York and the war would be over. That was the plan. And for the first seven months, it was going perfectly. Cornwallis tore through Charleston. He tore through South Carolina. He was, he had killed or wounded 7,000 American soldiers. And then, and this is very important, he gets to Charlotte, the home of the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence, where they had been adamantly opposed to England for, for years now. And Charlotte is the first place where Cornwallis has, has to do something he's never done, which is retreat. Oh, and I love it. So this is, this is like if, like what Robert the Bruce stealing all of William Wallace's credit and, you know, but, but he's, but he's losing everything. And the only, the only place that they turn anyone around is where William Wallace is leading. I don't think it was his hometown, but that, that would, that would make it a perfect parallel. But the, this is great. Again, I, all, all, almost all my knowledge from that comes from the movie Braveheart. So. <laughs> so. Me too. Me too. But I mean, but I think the analogy or the, the, it's, it's perfect, right? It was like, these were, these were, you know, 
Now, some estimates, almost more than half of the Revolutionary Army were Scots-Irish, and that is what the stronghold, and most of the men, I think 25 of the 27 who signed this document, were Scots-Irish, and they were, look, these were people who had been kicked out of Scotland, kicked out of Ireland, kicked out of Pennsylvania, and had gone to, to Carolina, to North Carolina, to, to be left alone. Right. <laughs> and they like to drink, and they like to fight. And Cornwallis, you know, what's funny is the whole reason why the basketball team in Charlotte is called the Hornets is that when Cornwallis finally got to leave Charlotte, he was like, I'm sick of that place. It's a hornet's nest of rebellion. And so that name stuck mm. and it's still being brought up in, in Charlotte today. But that was the beginning of the end for Cornwallis when he met the Mecklenburg Declaration of Independence people and the militia and the guerrilla warfare, they started tearing him apart and he had to go to the coast to recover. And that's when he ended up having to uh, surrender in Yorktown. Right. With the help of the French. No, I mean, thank you, France. Um, yes, yes. Uh, we, we, we've repaid that one a few times. All right. So, um, all right. So then after this, they're writing the Constitution. Jefferson is involved. And is he, is he like playing Britney Spears? Is he going, whoops, I did it again? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, again, it is a pattern throughout his life of these weird, he sort of, he, and, Maybe it's not all Jefferson's fault, right? We tend to hold these people to incredible standards. And every time he can't meet that, you know, he's a terrible businessman. Um, he, he wrote some, some horrible, terrible racist things in notes on the state of Virginia. Um, he was a complete hypocrite when it came to, um, speaking out in favor of emancipation, but then actually doing nothing because he knew how much money he was making from his slaves. And so plagiarizing the Mecklenburg Declaration and then covering it up for, for decades and centuries, um, it just fits a pattern of behavior with Jefferson. Do we have any other examples of, of other uh, plagiarism he took? Or did it, is it just that he had that original glory, that original sin, and he, and he continued to sort of glory hound? So like when the Constitution was written, yep, I wrote that, the Bill of Rights. Yep, that was, that, that was me too. Oh, yeah, Madison, yeah, he wrote a little bit. Hamilton, this much. Um, and then one, you know, then Hamilton gets shot by Burr and, you know, and, and, you know, and s s some people were more modest than others, like George Washington never wanted to be in the public eye. And my understanding of John Adams is that he wasn't really, he was respected, but wasn't really well liked. Like everyone knew he's the guy you wanted in your corner, but nobody really wanted to hang out with him. So, um, which is probably a, a vast oversimplification. So is, is that what he did? He sort, of, he sort of took like the one big win that, and, and he sort of glory hounded it up to, to be one of the preeminent people, maybe more than his stature, uh, maybe more than his memory or legacy is. Maybe, maybe he was just, he, he was one among equals or maybe a little bit lesser among equals, but, but, you know, he seems to be like, you know, a sort of like a top three, top five guy, like, well, on Mount Rushmore of, you know, of, of founding fathers. And then of course, later of presidents. Um, now we are not commenting on his presidency. I don't know enough about it. I'm sure you looked into it at some point. Was his presidency overblown or did he do, you know, great things or was it a, a fairly mixed bag as well? I, you're right. I didn't, I didn't really look into it too extensively. I think it's really interesting that on his gravestone, 
he demanded that there's no reference to him being president of the United States on his gravestone. He wanted credit for the Statue of Religious Freedom in Virginia. He wanted credit for being the author of the Declaration of Independence. And he wanted credit for creating the University of Virginia. And that's it. And he even said not a word more. So I think Jefferson even himself maybe realizes that uh, his presidency wasn't wasn't uh, amongst his top three or four things that he had accomplished in his life. And I think what really sort of, I think when you look at the personality of Thomas Jefferson, what really happened was he realized this is my legacy. The Declaration of Independence is my legacy. And so I don't want people to know that I was actually part of a committee that included John Adams and Ben Franklin and, and that the, the writing that I did was heavily edited by Congress, right? He wanted people to think that the gods had spoken through his pen or his quill and that he had written it all by himself and come up with all these things by himself. And again, that's where he gets into trouble. If he had just shared credit and admitted that he had borrowed from the people of Charlotte and George Mason and different other philosophers, there'd be, it's no harm, no foul. Nobody would hold it against him. It's the fact that he was like, I did this and I did this alone. When did he die? He, okay, he and Adams died together on the 50th anniversary of the Declaration of Independence. Yeah, I knew it was something freaky like that. So that would be, what, uh, 1826? Correct. And they... It was, they were competing to the bitter end, right? I think it was Adams who woke up and said, uh, his last dying gasp was Jefferson survives, that Jefferson had survived, had lived longer than him, not knowing that Jefferson had died on the very same day, uh, which was poetic in effect, but, um, in a very out, dark, you know, <laughs> Dickens Lovecraftian poetic way. Yeah. Uh, although it turns out, as we discover, July 4th really wasn't the date of our independence. May 20th, uh, 1775 was the actual date. If you even go by, you know, when you declare it, you can declare a lot of things. I declare myself the uh, king of the interstellar, uh, you know, uh, galaxy. Um, you, know, it just, you know, it hasn't happened yet. You know, it, it, it may take a few more weeks. It's, you know, things are in motion. Right. Yeah. And even with the declaration, right, we didn't, it was, that's when it was written and finished. And I don't think people got around to even signing it until August. So you're right. Um, well, you, do, can, you can declare anything or pick any date. When was he president? What were, what were the years? Oh gosh. Now you're, now you're really testing. Around. But, oh, yeah. yeah. I, well, you know, it was Adams was second and then Adams who kind of hated being president, but wanted a second term. That's where the beef started with him and Jefferson is that he thought Jefferson should should step aside and let him have a second term. Jefferson comes in and 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 takes that second term and that's where that's where the anger between these two men really began. So I can't do the math on that, but it would have been um it would have been Washington, Adams, and then Jefferson. Yeah, and Washington served one term, right? And walked uh, away. Oh boy. <laughs> it's all right. And then what I'm trying to figure out is like if maybe Jefferson didn't want the, the presidency on his epitaph to be, maybe he wasn't quite sold that this thing was going to last. I mean, you have this new country, 
Britain already, you know, launched a second war against you. They're there, you know, he, he know, probably knows in his heart of heart that they're more powerful. Yeah, you made a, a great deal with France, uh, you know, to get all this uh, territory, but you really can't hold it. And, you know, there's still Frenchmen to the north of you. There's Spaniards to the south of you. There's still Dutchmen to the south of you. There's all the indigenous uh, nations there. And yes, they're being ravaged with smallpox, measles, and chicken pox and, and, and everything else that, that we could throw at them intentionally and unintentionally. Um, but they're there and there's lots of them and, and we really don't know how many. And you just got this gigantic swath of land, you know, basically doubling the size of the nation that you, it really is barely together as it is. And maybe he wasn't so sure the thing was going to last. And maybe he didn't want to, you know, maybe he didn't want to take credit for it. Just, just the, just the nice parts. And maybe if it didn't work out, like you could, maybe he was wise enough to know that this way I get all the glory, but none of the blame if it, do, if it doesn't work out. I don't know. It sounds I like. I gotta tell you, if, I've never heard a better summation of the Jeffersonian philosophy, front runner philosophy. And I, I actually love that as a reason why maybe he didn't include that on his, and I, I think you might be absolutely right. It would be so like Jefferson to be like, yeah, I want to. I want to wait and see how this turns out before I attach my name to it, right? Um, and that's what makes him so different than a lot of the other, uh, a lot of the other patriots of the revolution. He was more of a wait and see and to take credit for the good parts. And remember, too, late in his life, I mean, Jefferson had a lot going on uh, besides the Sally Hemings stuff and his. Um, and his sort of ongoing financial problems. Um, he was also trying to finish the, the University of Virginia. So maybe he was just so busy with all these other scandals and problems and, and financial issues that, um, yeah, he just didn't have time to think about it. Yeah, well, I don't know. President is something you can think about, but president and bankrupt maybe wasn't something he wanted to be put t together as well. In any event, you have my permission to write an epilogue. Just don't pull a Jefferson. Just, just you know, credit it to me with the with the with the thought spirit, not the actual words. And and in fact, if you actually want to use the actual words, though, I'm sure that you could write them better than I spoke them. Uh, but it's here on the air. It'll be there for, there for the world. You have permission. Nobody will call you uh, Jefferson. Um, but uh, you know, it's it's my gift to you as a, as a as a guest. It's your parting gift as a as a guest. Um, I appreciate that. So okay, so Jefferson, a little bit of plagiarism, but maybe not the world's greatest uh, villain. But you know, but but a bit of a bit of a you know a secret weenie uh, is my. I think that's a really good way to put it. But I mean, <laughs> I I do think if you understand the issues that we still have in this country, and then you connect them back to somebody like Jefferson, and you realize we've been dealing with this since the very creation of our country. Right. Thomas Jefferson is the man who claimed to have wrote the words, all men are created equal. He enslaved 607 people during his lifetime. Some of them were his own children. <laughs> so no wonder we have a problem or we're, you know, still with, with race in this country. The guy who said all men are created equal kept children enslaved because they were making him so much money and he was such a terrible businessman. So um, he was an epic weenie. How about that? <laughs> I will accept that. Yeah, I mean, artistic license, of course. So he, he's like basically the human embodiment of two things. One, paper tiger, literally a tiger on paper. Um, 
and and two, the American continuing turmoil uh, that, that we have within ourselves, the American internal struggle, and and one man uh, represents them both. Well, I'm definitely thinking differently about Jefferson. Um, okay, tell us again the title of the book. Where can they find it? And while you're at it, why don't you tell us about your other two books also? Sure. Um, and can I just say I, another, you made sure. another great point. Um, oh, if it's about something I did well, then of yeah. course, take your time. Yes. Um, I just want to point out in, in sort of like in preparation for the second installment of this debate, right? That the man, Jefferson is famous for saying something. I'm going to paraphrase it. The, the, uh, the tree of liberty needs to be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots, right? A very gung ho, very like, let's go get them, um, sacrifice yourself for the cause. Well, he was essentially a deserter yeah, he in the fight. Revolutionary War. So he talked a big game, but never backed it up. Whereas the Mechdeck men, they were outnumbered 15 to 1 against Cornwallis and, and, and made Cornwallis turn and run. So I wanted to point that out. I wanted to point out how smart that was of you to point that out. Oh, but, of course. Yeah, I was um, thinking another Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot, I think, sort of showed us some of that, the, the fighting spirit of people who didn't want to be in the fight. But they, now it's a it's another movie. Uh, I right. don't know how accurate it was, but it certainly seems um, consistent with what we're talking about here. But, yeah, I, I knew that Jefferson never actually put, you know, gunpowder to musket and bayonet to, to rifle and actually used it. He, he I, I didn't know he deserted. I, I thought that he might have like weaned his way out sort of by, you know, doing things that were too important. But, you know, the the pen is mightier than the sword in the scope of history, maybe not in the moment, but the words did last and that that's not nothing. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it's disappointing, I suppose. But listen, we, they always tell you you should never meet your heroes. And everyone's just a person, just like every child recognizes some point, at point. Their parents are just kids that got a little bit older, and then they're also tired and worried and, you know, want to watch the game and whatever it is. And, you know, and then your boss is in this genius, brilliant businessman, unless he's one of like the 17 people who are, um, or she. Um, and, you know, we're, we're all sort of flawed vessels. Just some of us, uh, maybe the bigger we make it, the more uh, uh, glaring our flaws seem to be. Um, so that's my. That's a really that's a good way to put it. I and I'm um, uh, sorry for that last uh, crazy tangent. But no, I, I will... love crazy tangents. <laughs> I will say again, the book is named "Who's Your Founding Father: One Man's Epic Quest to Discover the First True Declaration of Independence." Um, it's published by Hachette, which means it's everywhere. Right. Uh, any bookstore, any ebook, audiobook, Amazon, anything, um, you'll be able to find it there. And uh, it is my third book. My second book was about a this incredible story of a 1925 NFL championship team that was made up of coal miners from Pennsylvania. Um, and my very first book was a, a father's memoir. We lost our first child, and it's a story about the year between losing Noah and um, the birth of our daughter, Allie Hope. So uh, my books are kind of all over the place, but um, yeah, please check them out. Okay, sounds good. 
and is there any of your work still with uh, uh, ESPN, or I think you said Sports Illustrated, where people could find if they wanted to check that out? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you can go to, you can contact me at Flem ESPN on Twitter. Um, my link tree is the same thing, Flem ESPN. It's got all of my uh, magazine and long-form stories archived there. Or just Google David Fleming ESPN, and you will see the latest craziest story that I'm I'm working on or uh, have published. Uh, I will give you a little hint. Mm-hmm. I'm actually working on a story about uh, that coincides with the Barbie movie coming out. Oh, great! Um, one of the, the one of the rarest and most hard to find Barbies uh, is a particular NBA Barbie doll that came out in 1998 and i have been searching around the globe uh to find this barbie so um yes be, be on the lookout for that that hard-hitting news story hey you never know you i mean the da vinci code made dan brown a billionaire uh maybe searching for this barbie you can uh, make a whole epical fiction around that you know i mean you already have sort of the chops with the natu- national treasure uh u.s stuff and throw the masons in there and barbie and you know, Ken, he was definitely not someone to be trusted. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so th- there's probably something. So you're still with ESPN? Yes, yep. That's amazing. That's great. Um, what, what do you work on there? Um, again, long, like long-form magazine-style features on uh, that are related to sports. So sometimes I, I do features on athletes, but mostly I do more sort of like topical stories uh, that are – usually just tangentially related to sports so okay you ever talk to keith Tholberman and ask him about the worst person in the world <laughs> you know what's funny is the i i i'm allowed to work out of my home in north carolina but when you do go to espn it's a little bit like the commercials i have mm-hmm. to say you do bump into people in the cafeteria and in the hallways so the next time i see him i will I will ask him. What about King Kong Bundy? Did you ever run into him in the cafeteria? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was a wrestler in college, so I'm I'm prepared if if, uh, if that ever happens. I don't think you can handle Bundy or Stud. Come on, I man, four hundred pounds. That's that, uh, you know. But yeah, so where where'd you go to school? I see that there's a, a like a varsity blanket there, but it, it looks like it's almost like Maryland, but the colors are wrong. But well, they're reversed. Yeah, no, I um I went to Miami of Ohio ah, on a. And a wrestling scholarship. So, but I figured if I could take on Thomas Jefferson, I could probably handle King Kong Bundy. Yeah, now that wasn't Jim Jordan, was it? No, no, he was Ohio State. Okay, well, that's good. Yeah. Thank goodness for that. For, is good. For, yeah, I, I think so. Um, all right, I'm going to stop right there. Or I'm going to get myself into trouble uh, with someone or another, and, and probably from both knowing my luck. So, thank you so much. Thank you for sharing the story. This was fascinating, very interesting stuff. Great conversation. I had fun. I hope you had fun. And, uh, you know, when you write your next book or you come across something else or find that Barbie, you know, you know, come back on and we can uh, talk about that too. Oh, yeah, for sure. For do you know sure. Nick Khan? Really do you know Nick Khan? No, huh? Oh, yeah. Wasn't he, wasn't he a sports agent? And now he's the CEO of uh, WWE or, well, sort of now, you know, pending the merger. Yes. Well, I will look him up. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, that'd be interesting. Um, Yeah. All right. Very good. Thank you so much for joining us. Good luck with the book. Hope they all sell bangers. Folks, make sure you follow him. He 
gave you his website. He told you where you can find the book and you can just go to a bookstore and you can find it as well. Um, so excellent on all of that. Uh, appreciate your time and folks, I hope that you liked it and give us a rating, a review, five stars, but more important than any of that, refer a friend. That That's the best way this show gets out to people. Um, and you will hear from us next time with Garden Views and you already have a pretty good idea of at least 50-50 what the next show will be and pretty much 100% what the next two shows will be. All right. Thanks a lot. See you all next week.
At Eastern's Automotive Group, your job is your credit. Our job is to make car buying simple, which is why we offer our express process. The easiest way to purchase your next vehicle, estimate your payments, lock in your car, and pick it up same day. Simple, fast, and transparent. Make your next purchase express at easterns.com. Eastern's Automotive Group, your job is your credit. Our job is to find the perfect match for you and your family. That's why we always have over 1,000 vehicles to choose from. No matter what you're looking for, Eastern's Automotive Group has something for everyone. Visit easterns.com for a location near you.